The word of God for our focus this evening comes from Luke 23, verses 26 to 34. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including, men who, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the, child, are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. This is God's word. Europe is famous for their cathedrals and churches. These large historic buildings with beautiful architecture, beautiful stained glass windows, tall spires that reach up to the heavens. But if you were to walk into some of these churches, you might be surprised by what you'd see. You see, many of the churches aren't being used, and so they've been redone, turned into something else. You walk into this magnificent church building, and instead you see a bar, a restaurant, a dance club, a pizzeria, even skate parks. And some of the churches that are still in service might surprise you as well. You walk into this beautiful cathedral on a Sunday morning, and you find that most of the pews are empty, filled by only guests and tourists and visitors. And it's a shame to think about. These beautiful buildings, once full of Christians, are now empty and filled with tourists. And it seems to be the case that that is what will happen to American Christianity soon. The studies seem to say that Christians are growing less and less devout. The studies seem to show that churches are closing their doors more and more often in recent years. The studies show that only 64% of Americans consider themselves Christians, which is a huge downturn from a few decades ago when 90% said they were Christians. And the projections say that in the next few years, Christians will become the minority. And it's already the case for our children. And those are just the statistics. Maybe you feel it too. Right, gone are the days when most of the people that you would meet, most of the people on your block would all be Christians. Gone are the days when we could say that our nation was all on the same page when it came to God or families or values. Gone are the days when Sunday was considered a holy day set aside for church. And I don't think I'm saying anything too radical when I tell you that our world is quickly becoming more and more hostile to Christianity. That's the world that our kids and our grandkids are going to grow up in. A world where our professors 
and our peers will look down on us for what we believe. A world in which becoming a Christian means that you will be called ignorant or foolish or bigoted. A world in which we might be attacked, not just on social media or verbally, but also more and more likely physically. And I say all of these things because it seems like our world is changing and not for the better as Christians. And our reaction to these changes in the world might be one of two reactions. On the one hand, we might start to feel bad for ourselves, to pity ourselves. Woe is us. Woe is our church. Woe is Christianity. Remember the good old days? Remember the way things used to be? Remember when pastor so-and-so was here and things were good? If only we could go back to those days. If only we could go back to the good old days. But as the world becomes more and more hostile, our other reaction might be to become more angry and hostile to the world. To fight fire with fire. If you're going to attack us, we will attack you. And so we draw lines in the sand. There's our people and there's their people. There's our allies, our friends, our candidates. And then there's the enemy. There's the people who are on our team, and there are people who are on the other team. And so when we turn on the news and we see someone on the other team saying something that we disagree with, we get angry. We think hostile thoughts. When we vote in an election and our candidate wins, we gloat and we celebrate. If the other team's candidate wins, we get angry. When we see someone on the other team fail in life, bringing troubles on themselves because of the things that they believe, the things that they've done, we might think to ourselves, good, they deserved it. They reaped what they sowed. And we might even join in with the heckling and watching the videos online of our enemies, of the other team, suffering and failing. But it's in those moments when we fight fire with fire. It's in those moments when we are hostile to the enemy that we might think to ourselves, Right, thank God we're in here and we're not out there. Thank God we are not spiritually ignorant, spiritually blind, spiritually stupid. Thank God we are Christians and not unbelievers. And it's in those moments when we fight fire with fire that we forget our Savior's words. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Words that our Savior taught and words that he lived by as he stumbled to the cross. Right, Luke tells us in this gospel account about Jesus going to the cross. His back has been scourged. His head is bleeding from a crown of thorns smacked into his head. He's suffering from blood loss, so tired, so exhausted that he cannot carry his cross. He falls in front of this group of women who are weeping and mourning for him. And what is he thinking about? What is on his heart? What does he say? Well, his heart goes out to these women. His heart goes out to the city of Jerusalem, to the city that rejected him, because he knows what trouble is coming on in the next couple of years. He knows the destruction that is waiting for them. The soldiers bring him on to Golgotha. They nail him to the cross. They put him up for the world to see. The Pharisees and the soldiers laugh at him. They mock him. The soldiers cast lots for his clothes. And what does Jesus say? What does Jesus think? Where is Jesus' heart? It goes out to those soldiers and those Pharisees. He says, Father, forgive them, 
for they do not know what they are doing. And in those words, God gives us a glimpse into his heart, into the heart of Jesus. This is who our God is, a God who has compassion, who has love, who has forgiveness to give, even to his enemies, even to those who are nailing him to the cross, even to those who hurt him, to people like you and me. There are moments in life when we spiritually hit rock bottom, right? When we do things that we know that God would not want us to do, and yet we choose to do them anyway, right? Moments when we know that we are making a mistake, and yet we choose to make this mistake, even though we know what it will bring us. And in those moments, God looks at us, and he does not say, good, they're about to get what they deserve. Or, you idiot, I can't believe that you would do this. But God looks on us with compassion, with love, with sympathy. And this sympathy causes him to do more than just feel good for us. This is more than just warm, fuzzy feelings. But this is a compassion and a love that moves him to act for us. Right? That's why he was on the cross to begin with. That's why the crown of thorns was on his head. That's why he was beaten to a pulp, whipped, whipped to the point of weakness. That's why he was there. What was holding him to the cross was not those nails, but his love for you and me. And so when Jesus says those words, Father, forgive them, he is speaking those words, not just to those who are nailing him to the cross, but to you and to me. Jesus forgives you. But his words mean even more than that. With those words, Father, forgive them, he is extending forgiveness not just to us, but also to our enemies, to those who hate us, to those who hate God. Right, listen to those words one more time. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. If you know the story of the crucifixion, you know that the Pharisees knew exactly what they were doing. They were going to kill Jesus, this innocent man, and put him on the cross because they thought that it would protect their people, it would protect their power, it would be for the good of the people, as we heard in the reading. But at the same time, they did not know what they were doing. They did not realize that they were killing God's son. They did not realize that they were killing the Messiah. They did not realize that they were rejecting God in that moment. In the same way, we live in a world where we are surrounded by people who know what they are doing, and yet they do not know what they are doing. They know that something is missing in this life. They know that something is broken. They know that something is not right with this world, and yet they do not know God. And they do not know the destruction, the end that is waiting for them. And so they are people who know what they are doing, and yet they do not know what they are doing. And so they lash out at God, at Christians, at us, at the church. They think that we are the enemy, but they are not our enemies. Jesus shows us how we should view the world around us. These are lost people. Lost people like you and me who need the same thing as you and me. Who need a God of forgiveness, a God of compassion, a God of love. These are people who need Jesus' blood and Jesus' forgiveness too. And if we insist on fighting fire with fire, if we insist on drawing lines in this world between us and them, well, then maybe we'll miss the bigger picture. That maybe one of the reasons why God has placed you into life at this moment and in this place 
is to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. But God did not put us into this world to win political arguments at work or at school or at family gatherings. God did not put us into this time and to this place to join in the social media mobs. God did not put us into this time and this place to worry ourselves about elections or school boards or what happens next. God put us here to love our neighbors, to love our enemies, to pray for those who would persecute us, and to forgive our enemies. A lot of historians have studied the early years of the Christian church after the death of Jesus. And it's sort of this incredible thing because the church grew like wildfire. But it's strange because Christians were the lowest of the low. They were the whipping boy of the Roman world. They didn't worship the Roman gods. They didn't worship the Roman emperor. They were seen as exactly what was wrong with Roman society. They were different in all the wrong ways. Right? These people in this, in this Roman world lived by vengeance. They lived by power. And yet the Christians chose not to retaliate. In a world that was driven by wealth and gold and silver, the Christians gave it all to the poor. In a world full of sexual promiscuity, the Christians lived faithfully as husbands and wives. They lived different from the world, and they were mocked by the world for it. And yet, that's what seemed to make all the difference. In the span of just 300, 400 years, the Roman Empire became a Christian empire. And I'm not saying this to say that if we live this way, right, this city will become Christian, or our state will become Christian, or this nation will become Christian. But it's just a reminder for you of what sets us apart as Christians, what makes us different, that we have something beautiful to offer this world. Right? In a world that is driven by vengeance and retaliation, a world in which one mis- mistake means that you can be canceled and your life is over, we offer forgiveness. In a world where people are driven by hopes and dreams of political candidates who may or may not have what their best interests in mind, we preach a God who loved us so much, who loved them so much that he died for them. In this world that is all about social media, and the biggest, and the best, and what's next, we have a God who suffers with us, who suffers for us, who offers his life for us. A God of forgiveness, a God of compassion. As we go through this Lenten season, that's the God that we see on the cross. A God whose arms are open wide, offering forgiveness for you and for me and for the whole world. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Amen.